0: Once upon a time. Uh, begin at the beginning, I suppose. My purpose in coming here tonight was twofold. As you see, my dear Pick, the human ear is a perfect
1: recording and amplifying apparatus.
0: I in every Text Texture. An artifact. When do we start? Oh, we it. It sounds like this.
1: When I was 12 years old, my history teacher set me in unusual detention. I was to write down on a piece of lined paper the reasons that I hadn't done any of the homework she'd set and no excuses were allowed. She wanted the real reason. I wrote the most honest answer I could, that I really didn't know. The essays didn't seem insurmountably difficult. I had no difficulties finding space or time to do them. I was sincerely very interested in history though, it must be admitted, not really in her classes, and I did truly want to do well at school. The honest truth was that there was no fathomable reason for not having done any homework. And yet, I still hadn't done it. Not any. Needless to say, she was less than satisfied with my essay along those lines and ripped it up and put it in the bin as soon as she'd finished reading. She wasn't the first teacher I would infuriate, and she certainly wasn't the last. I wasn't a troublemaker. I didn't get into any fights or break many school rules. I was punctual and respectful to teachers, but I just didn't do any work, not even in my favorite subjects. To take an obvious example, I was already writing short stories and reading classic literature when I started high school. So English classes should have been a breeze, but no. In my first year, the English teacher was a semi-retired former PE teacher and a typical assignment would be to copy out, say, the Raggle Taggle Gypsies from a photocopied sheet in our best handwriting. My best handwriting was still appalling and that was on the work he did see, which was very little indeed. A year of this and I was put into a lower English set, which was okay for a while as we had the wonderful Mrs Maxwell, the only teacher I will name here, but I still wouldn't, or couldn't, in the words of another good teacher, show them what I could do. And a demotion later, subsequent English classes were much less friendly. The next teacher, techie and aggressive, my set of fellow students mostly uninterested in the subject. Every term we would be set a new book, and large portions of classes were set aside for reading aloud, which meant listening to my classmates enunciating each word painfully slowly until I could take it no more and would start reading pages ahead until I heard okay now James and I would say sorry which page are we on and there would be laughter from the other kids a telling off for daydreaming and quite likely a detention this was for English my favorite subject so you can imagine how badly my maths classes went I don't really want to blame my high school or most of the teachers there They were doing an okay job as far as the vast majority of the students were concerned. If one kid was too lazy to do any work, then that was just par for the course. It was my responsibility to do my own work and nobody else's. They once made an effort to get me to sort myself out. One teacher informed me that I was the subject of debate in the teacher's office and I should take advantage of this opportunity. I had no idea what this meant at the time and I don't think I know now either. So I did nothing, and the result was that I was put on report and had to carry around a card to be stamped after every class, alongside the truants, the troublemakers and the more problematic special needs kids. This didn't help. By the end of high school I'd been thrown out of technology class and wasn't even entered into the English Literature GCSE. I was humiliatingly removed halfway through a history class and put in the lower group geography class instead a subject which apparently neither I, nor the school, cared about. Uniquely in the entire school, I had free periods where I was required to only show I was there, then keep myself at the back of someone else's class, reading a book, drawing a map of an imaginary country, or writing another story. That's the kicker here. I was always reading or writing something, just not what I was supposed to be reading or writing. At times I tried to use this reading or writing in class, but it never fitted at all. Our RE teacher once gave us an investigative project in which we were supposed to compile the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. I immediately got to work on a Raymond Chandler style detective story titled The Case of the Missing Body and had completed a few pages when the teacher decided to start her own investigation into what I was so busy with. She picked up the pages, read for perhaps 10 seconds, then ripped it up And put it in the bin. That was a shitty thing to do, but again it's not fair to blame her for my disenchantment with school. There were about 500 students there in total, a national curriculum to stick to, targets to meet. There clearly wasn't time to change everything just to match the interests of one weird kid. But I can't help wishing that one teacher could have noticed me reading and writing, taken an interest in what I was doing, praised me for something Show me how to direct my energies towards the kind of attainment that they wanted. Fortunately, this wasn't the end of the road for me. I finished high school with just about enough GCSEs to go to the local 6th form college. And after a wasted year doing the wrong subjects, I managed to get into the correct ones, that is, ones which I had an interest in, that even managed to get an A in English Literature A level. University, on the other hand, was perhaps a step backwards into my school days. I was fine with exams, but had chosen a subject which wasn't what I had expected and which required numerous essays, each of which had to be planned, written and handed in. I would be expected to organise all of this myself and not be reminded at all. This is, of course, pretty standard university expectations, but for me it was the exact opposite of what I would do well at, especially when I had a proper social life for the first time. So it wasn't just a school thing. This disorganised person, unable to focus on a task at hand, capable of doing anything except the thing he was supposed to do, this wasn't a temporary problem, this was in fact, me. Assuming this was uniquely my problem, I found strategies to cope. To this day I have specific pockets for items, front left for wallet, front right for keys and coins, watch pocket for small valuables, back pocket for cloakroom tickets, inside jacket for phone and headphones, every day I move these from old clothes to new clothes. I always knew that most people survived without inventing such Byzantine systems, but I couldn't understand how. Most of my working life I've been an English second language teacher, which suits me fine. There is a set deadline by which time I need to prepare a class, preparation mainly involves reading and making a few notes, If I'm not well prepared, experience allows me to improvise classes. We call this dogma teaching. It's draining and stressful, but it actually results in better classes. I've completed a master's degree in the subject and a practical professional qualification, and I've worked as a manager and a trainer for the best part of a decade. But I am still me. Deep down, I'm no more organised or focused. I just have systems and stubbornness to get me through. A few years ago, I had a manager who took against me, much more so than I realised at the time. I thought that if I got better results than others, it wouldn't matter that I gave off an air of messiness and anxiety. Business people care about results, surely, but no. She decided that my lack of focus on her personal goals and my inability to use social skills to try and get on her side meant that I was working against her. I find it impossible to deal with people who are being openly hostile to me and in meetings I found I could barely even speak to her. It was only a couple of years ago that I realised that all of this wasn't just me. It had a name, a name I was already familiar with and was in fact fairly common. I learned this not from a doctor or a life coach or a psychiatrist but from reading articles linked on Twitter and internet forums Articles which described everything I've described so far and a host of other very familiar symptoms which I'd failed entirely to connect. ADHD I thought perhaps I'd known ADHD kids at high school. They were the ones who ran around like they were full of sugar and got into trouble all the time and according to the TV and the papers and anyone who seemed to have an opinion about it ADHD was an attempt to medicalise their naughtiness to sell their parents personality-altering drugs. I had never been hyperactive or a troublemaker. I'd always been quiet, shy, inactive. Jumping around the room was the last thing I was going to do. I knew I had something wrong, but it was certainly not that I was one of the hyperactive kids. Here's a description from a Dr. William Dodson which might shed some light on this.
0: The DSMV, the Bible of psychiatric diagnosis, lists 18 diagnostic criteria for attention deficit disorder, ADHD or ADD. Clinicians use this to identify symptoms, insurance companies use it to determine coverage, and researchers use it to determine the areas of worthwhile study. Now the problem, these criteria only describe how ADHD affects children ages 6 to 12. And this has led to misdiagnosis, misunderstanding, and failed treatment for teens, adults, and the elderly. Most people, clinicians included, have only a vague understanding of what ADHD means. They assume it equates to hyperactivity and poor focus, mostly in children. They're wrong. When we step back and ask, what does everyone with ADHD have in common that people without ADHD don't experience, a different set of symptoms take shape? From this perspective, three defining features of ADHD emerge that explain every aspect of the condition. One, an interest-based nervous system. Two, emotional hyperarousal. Three, rejection sensitivity.
1: So let's look at those three features. First, an interest-based nervous system. This is where the inattentive thing comes from. Like most people with ADHD, I'm capable not just of focusing on a task, but can focus on it to a sometimes completely unreasonable degree. If I'm engaged in the project, it's quite possible I will stay up the whole night to finish it. I am, as I write this sentence, being told to go to bed as it's nearly midnight. But that's for things I want to do, and I'm in the right mood to do. If the interest isn't there and the time isn't right, it feels like there's a physical wall between me and the task and however much I try to push myself into doing it, that wall is still there. Emotional hyper-arousal, there's that hyper thing. My mind often feels like it's going too quickly for me to control it. When I'm engaged in a conversation, I have an unfortunate tendency to skip a couple of steps ahead, which inevitably confuses whoever I'm speaking to. I've spent most of my adult life teaching English as a second language, and for the first three or four years, spoke much too quickly for most of my students. An American I work with in China told a table full of my friends that she couldn't understand a word I said. It has always been difficult to get to sleep. My body clock seems to be on a 26 hour schedule. And the one time I stopped fighting it, I ended up going to bed at 2 p.m. and waking up at 11, which unless you're actually working a night shift is not ideal. The emotional part of emotional hyperarousal manifests itself as a more intense experience of highs and lows. I will not publicly dance around in joy when watching or listening to something exciting, but, well, I'm glad there are no cameras watching me when no one's around. The flip side of this is that I find it very hard to take criticism. A criticism of something I've made feels like a criticism of my entire being. If I've been able to focus on it, then you should know that I've put everything into it. And if I care about your opinion, then it's crushing if you don't like it. I know this is unreasonable. I know this is too much of a burden to put on anyone. So for decades, I would avoid sharing anything personal with anyone I cared about. This is called rejection-sensitive dysphoria and feels more raw and personal than other symptoms of ADHD. So instead of me talking about it, let's hear from Dr. Dodson again.
0: Emotional dysregulation is when a person feels an emotion so intensely that the emotion takes over and cannot be subdued. With rejection-sensitive dysphoria, Dr. Dodson says the person experiences extreme emotional sensitivity and pain triggered by the perception, real or imagined, of being rejected, teased, criticized, a disappointment to important people in their lives— disappointed in themselves when they fail to attain their own standards or goals. The pain is so primitive and overwhelming that people struggle to find any words to describe it. They can talk about its intensity, awful, terrible, catastrophic, but cannot find the words to convey the quality of the emotional pain.
1: Now, why should this be so? Well, if you've been constantly told that you're lazy, that you can't take criticism, that you're awful at conversation... When you've internalised all of this, naturally it becomes difficult not to fixate on setbacks, especially those in personal relationships. For this reason i felt an acute fear in sharing anything really personal with anyone, not just negative things, but even shared interests. Before reading about ADHD, I would have called this embarrassment, but didn't realise that other people didn't feel this acute, almost physical pain whenever forming social bonds. When I was in my early twenties, I'd often see someone in the street who I'd met in a pub or a club before and would always completely blank them. It felt physically impossible to do anything else. And on a few occasions, this led to acquaintances deciding I was an arrogant prick, which seemed like a massive injustice. Why were they angry with me for blanking them? Didn't everyone feel rising panic when encountering someone they knew in the street? The answer, it turns out, is no. Guides to ADHD generally seem to be written by Americans and descriptions of rejection sensitivity focus on things like not getting picked for sports teams which, to be frank, doesn't sound like a nightmare to me. I've never been very concerned to do well at sports. In the UK, we have something worse though. Let's call it banter. At its best, banter is just gentle teasing between friends. At worst, it's little more than plausible deniability for bullying. Generally it's some sort of mix of the two, intersecting with a kind of complex power relationships, group dynamics and prejudices that activate whenever two or more people meet. There is a great deal of social currency in being the kind of person who can take banter in good humour. That is, being a person who both instinctively understands it and doesn't take it at all personally. To fail to understand banter, or to take it personally, is viewed as nothing less than a moral failing. This is all ridiculous, isn't it? I've no idea what personal qualities this cultural norm is supposed to elevate, but whatever they are, I do not seem to possess them. And I don't understand why this is a problem. But not being able to work out when I'm being picked on, and when people are just being genuinely friendly, has been a source of heartache on a number of occasions. Then there's social media, another minefield. I have friends from around the world. How can I possibly keep in touch with them? Sometimes I'll get a nice message from someone. I'll need to reply to it. Writing the perfectly phrased message is a very difficult task. Very difficult tasks will be put off indefinitely without a deal of effort, whether I want to do them or not. So most people will get a couple of words or nothing. And then there's the act of unfriending. I was once unfriended by an acquaintance who was not undertaking any great cull of their list as far as I could see, and then actually spent a couple of days fretting over what it was that could have offended them. I'm mentioning this one in particular because they're actually someone who's been recently writing about ADHD on the internet themselves. Is this a ridiculous thing to worry about? Am I oversensitive? Well, yes, obviously, and yes, obviously. But making myself not care has been a struggle and the path it's led me down is a kind of crappy one where I increasingly feel that I don't have that many close friends anymore. I've been writing this piece for five years now, maybe more. When I started it, I hadn't so much as considered that I might have this condition. My initial motivation for writing was a discussion I had with my wife about different educational approaches. She also felt unmotivated and uninterested in high school, but she has more of an excuse. In China, the years from uh, 10 to 18 are mainly spent frantically cramming for the gaokao, the end of high school diploma which seems to determine your entire future. For Chinese teenagers, the whole waking day is spent on memorization and rote learning. You can't have a boyfriend or girlfriend, you can't spend time with your friends, you can't play games or read, you can only study and you study hard. There are millions in your graduating year, all of them studying late into the evening every day. And if you aren't in the top 10%, then your life is a failure and everyone will know it from the school league table posted on the wall. This is the number one reason we moved back to the UK. I could not even think of putting my children through that. And from the looks of it so far, my older son is fairly likely to take after his parents. He doesn't like being given tasks to complete. Discipline-based encouragement is useless. If he's truly engaged in something, on the other hand, he can sit and focus on it for hours. He might only be 11 years old, but his personality is already quite clear, and I wouldn't fancy his chances at a Chinese high school. Fortunately, though, he'll be in the UK, though if he has the same kind of high school experience as me, I fear that history may repeat itself. But these days, ADHD is not treated as such a joke. I will be there to support him and offer my empathy, and I hope his school will too. This piece is for him.